Well, this week we're going to talk about how the Bible is trustworthy. So if it's influential, in other words, it has a voice, and then if it's accurate, someone says, okay, there's substantive proof that this truly is the Greek that has been translated and brought down to us from, you know, 19 centuries along. Mm. Uh, we have that. Okay, then now the question is, okay, can you trust it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is not a journey that you can uh, order out for. It's not something you can stream to your laptop or to your brain at this point, but I think they are working on those microchip implants at some <laughs> sure point. Sure they are. But instead, it is something you actually have to put your own work into, but you don't have to do it alone. You can have people to support and encourage you, and we want to be that for you. We want to be a podcast where you learn what you believe, why you believe it, and how to critically think for yourself. And we are so excited that you're here with us. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And we have the very special privilege of having one of our other salty pastors. I can't remember what uh, version of salt we had assigned you, but it doesn't matter. We have Mr. Sea Harvey salts. Friesen. Sea salts. <laughs> Good to be with you all today and uh, pleasure to be on the podcast. Also, thank you to all of you who trust us and welcome us in with uh, obviously Pastor Doug and Jesse do a great job, but uh, honored to be here with you today. We're so excited to have you. Last Two weeks, we've basically been looking at the Bible. At the beginning of this series titled The Bible, we went with very basic um, naming convention on this one because the Bible doesn't need a lot of introduction. It is one of the most well-known books on the planet, and we are talking about its authenticity and how it is one of the most influential books on the planet. Pastor Doug has been talking about that. And then last week, Zach preached a little bit about how the Bible is also the most accurate book that's ever been written. There are no contradictions in it. In fact, it is the same as it has always been. The translations support our understanding, but do not deviate from the original message, right? So what yeah, are we talking absolutely. about this week? Well, Pastor? this week we're going to talk about how the Bible is trustworthy. So if it's influential, in other words, it has a voice, and then if it's accurate, someone says, okay, there's substantive proof that this truly is the Greek that has been translated and brought down to us from, you know, 19 centuries along. Mm. Uh, we have that. Okay, then now the question is, okay, can you trust it? Can you trust it for your personal life? And it kind of falls this way in that my sermon really, you know, Pastor Doug does a great job, and, and Zach followed along with that as well, and doing a great job talking about the veracity of the Bible and how does it have influence? Of course it does. Has it shaped continents and cultures? Of course it has. And, and then the next question is, okay, well, is it an accurate source? Well, yes, it's substantively accurate. And in fact, I'll talk about that again a little bit this week because I think people need to hear it a few times to kind of put that into their brain. But then the next question is, okay, can you trust your life with it? And, and, and that's the application point. Is this really something that I will allow to guide my life? And if so, how will I let it guide my life? And that's a bigger jump for a lot of people. A lot of people well, will go the, the first lead. two steps, right? Yeah. Like they'll go, okay, yeah, I believe that you know it exists. I believe it, it could potentially be the, the word of God. I believe that the translations are accurate. Oh, but you want me to like do what it says? Yeah, that's oh, the rub. That's, that's the rub. <laughs> that's the rub. I mean, that 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 really is. And, and and we live in a culture and in a time where we love to do nothing but keep our options open. We love to wait till the last, 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 last second before we make a decision upon it. There's mm -hmm. a saying in baseball when it comes to hitting. And that is, you want to allow the ball to come to you. And so there's this phrase, it says, let it travel. So a hitter is taught, let the ball travel. In other words, don't lunge for it. Wait, 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 wait. So even our sports has this idea of wait to the last second and then release. 
Well, we do that, but the problem with that is, Jesse, is it makes for a reactive life. We're constantly reacting to what pitch is thrown to us, and if it's all, if, listen, if it's all batting practice fastballs, it's pretty easy to hit line drives with batting practice fastballs. Mm-hmm. Put 45,000 people more in the stadium, put all uh, a, a, a pennant on the line, put a game on the line, put your career on the line, put all these other kinds of things in play, and then add this. The pitcher isn't just throwing batting practice fastballs. The pitcher throwing uh, change-ups, the pitcher's throwing sliders, cutters, the pitcher's throwing curveballs, the, p- the pitcher's throwing fastballs, he's throwing two seams and four seams and I would suggest to you, of course you know I love baseball, but what I would suggest more than anything is, is life is not a batting practice session. Life is actually played in real time in front of a lot of other people, which is why people go, do I really trust that? And the Mm. problem is most people triangulate their lives against someone they think whose life is successful, someone whom they think their life stinks, and then their life. So you're constantly saying, well, where am I against them? And where am I against them? And it becomes this comparison trap. And not only that, is that we get stuck chronologically in the best, may not be the best, but what looks like the best outcome which again may not be the best outcomes how many times you have you heard someone say man i've really met people who seem really really successful and they're phenomenally lonely or they're phenomenally empty or they're phenomenally broken or maybe downline their kids lives are phenomenally empty and broken or whatever and and then so so you can't just see appearances of others and you can't just look at someone else's life who looks like it's not going well and then feel better about yourself that's the comparison trap and that's what happens when we wait and a bit of this is fomo right fear of missing out so we let it travel let it travel let it travel and then we make decisions unfortunately Life best lived doesn't respond too well to that. You have to be on the proactive side of things. And where the Bible stands in, it is influential, it's accurate, and then we are to put forward, it's trustworthy to proactively build your life on it. Well, and we see this in so many ways where our culture as a whole, I mean, this is Tuesday Bible study, but I mean, we're studying the Bible as a whole, so we would argue that every podcast is Bible study this series, right? Well, absolutely. But we see this in the culture where people are constantly saying, you know, the, the system or the culture or whoever is doing something to you. And so our general thought process is constantly, we are being attacked. There's no opportunity for us to be proactive because we're constantly being hit with this, this ideology that everyone else is making your decisions or influencing your life for you. And so we're, we're trained down to be that. And that's part of the reason I think, where a lot of people are failing at life is because they don't even think about the option of, well, what if I got out ahead of some of this stuff? Well, right. And, 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 and look, losing, um, is contagious Mm. and people who lose love other people that lose misery loves, Company. company right and so in this process when the world is struggling it wants everybody to struggle well what does the scripture say about us we should do philippians chapter 2 all things without grumbling means that we're whiners and complainers right or disputing is that we are arguers but that we would shine like stars in the universe mm. and what does they mean by that he's saying be different. Be different than the culture. So if you're going to be different than the culture, it's not just about showing up at church. It's not just about being in a small group. It's not appearances. It is, catch this, and this is the phrase, it's substance. Where do you get your substance? What the Bible offers 
is substance. Mm. And, and, and let me start out since we're doing our Bible study. Let me read it. I mean, Proverbs chapter three, verse one says this, my child, now think about it. A child is what? A child is trainable, moldable, developable, shapeable, right? They're all those kind. they're impressionable, right? So he starts out with, and that the scripture does look at us, not as children, as in that we're naive, but it looks at us and says, if you're impressionable, if you're willing to be molded and shaped by the word of God, those who are willing to be shaped, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Why in your heart? Because in your head you make decisions, but it's in your heart where you store your values. And mm. really what the, what the culture is doing is, is the culture says it makes decisions off of heart, but only out of passion or sensually. But what he's really saying is, is let your mind, your cognitive logical thoughts, be shaped by the values that get stored in your heart. And then he says, verse 2, if you do this, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. God is, he's daring us. He's daring you to say, do this and see that your life, your life will not be satisfying. And, and, and here, somebody asked me a question one time. He said, why, why are you a Christian? I said, I just blurted back. I said, Jesus is enough for me. I don't have an and. He's my one thing. Right? Everybody's got some one thing in their mind, right? They have that one thing they're trying to accomplish. And I would suggest to you that a lot of life, especially in the culture we live in today, is, is built off of the balcony idea. And that is you're on stage, everyone's in the balcony, and they're all watching you perform your life. They're, they're up here, there are some who are up there cheering you. There are a lot of them who are up there scrutinizing you. There are a lot of them that want to see you fail. There's a few that want to see you succeed. And along the way... What happens is, is you're a center stage. The gospel comes along and says, you're not, you're not the central act. You're not the key figure. It's not all about you. And so when the Bible comes along and says that, it teaches these kinds of things. In fact, it says, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In other words, he moves you out of the center of your guidance of your life and says, I'd like to be the guidance of the center of your life. Let me go back up to verse 3 and 4, and here's some guidance that he'd like to give. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. So he says, faithfulness and kindness to other people are guiding, shaping values that emanate from your heart that inform your head. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. What he's saying is this. I mean, think, think about this for a second. Necklaces, right? Our culture wears necklaces. Madonna wears an upside-down cross, or a lot of times, several crosses all over her body, mm. right? She's trying to say, I'm doing all that. Now, let's ask the question. Is her life being lived as a virtuous, beautiful life, pleasing as a Roma unto God? It may, she may think it is, but it comes across as, a person this whole life is addicted to sex. And in fact, I think she just came out and said all that. We are called to put the word of God around our neck. And the cross can be a wonderful symbol for how that is. Tie them around your neck, write them deep within your heart. And then again, he gives another promise. So look at the, look at the way that the, the Proverbs are written. Verse 1, a teaching. Verse 2, a benefit and blessing and promise and outcome. Verse 3, a teaching. And then verse 4, a benefit, a blessing, and an outcome. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Let me show you the difference between proactive and reactive living. Here's reactive living. I will try to shape through PR what you perceive me to be. I will react to what you need and want me to be, and I will be that, and then you'll go, wow, what a great person that is. The opposite is true for how God says. He says, if you will do these things, 
you will actually earn a good reputation. You won't have to work on it with people. They'll look at you and go, now that's substance. Mm. That's substance. And what our world is lacking more than anything is substance. Absolutely. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3 this weekend. We're going to talk about it because there are trustworthy statements in there that should guide our lives. Now, here's where people, a lot of times, here we get short, okay? We work on the outside but never actually look for a transformation on the inside. Why are we baptizers? Why do we baptize? Well, Peter uh, uh, Peter was there, the early baptizer, and what did he do in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? He says, repent therefore, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, let's clean up, let's ask God to wash away those evil things that you have done, and then be forgiven of those sins, and that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does filled with the Holy Spirit mean? He wants to invade your heart to shape your mind, to direct your hands, okay? God wants to work heart to head to hands. That's how this Bible, that's how the Bible works. So it is a trustworthy, beautiful book, but you said the rub is we don't want to do it. Here's the most beautiful thing. When you find the wisdom of God and you begin to employ it in your life, it begins to reap benefits and pay off dividends, but it doesn't happen immediately. And what we have to get past is this immediate gratification loop that we're in. Our culture is... We're transactional, right? Yeah, we're transactional. I do this, I get this. We go to Starbucks, I pay, I overpay for coffee, but I get this back, mm. right? We, we, we do all... And we're, by the way, about to enter into the big season of what? This is, we call it Christmas, but the truth of it is, it's bimus, right? Yes. I mean, this is all about bimus. Forget Christ at the beginning of that. It's bimus, right? right. And maybe even buy more if we bimus, bimus, right? It's like so, the old Taco Bell, exactly. Live mas, but bimus, but bimus. And hey, we're we're going into that, and your kids are trained for that. Your spouses are trained for that. We're in dating relationships. We're trained for that. It, we have a little thing we try to do in our family. Yeah, we give different gifts and things, but we get one main gift. If God gave one main gift over Christmas, we try to replicate that. Now, does everybody have to go out and just only get one gift? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. Don't be owned by the culture of Madison Avenue that tells you you don't have enough. The Bible says that in Christ, I am complete. Mm. Well, I, I, and I'm going to give you a phrase, right? Here's the best thing to learn going into Christmas. Ready? I'm content. I'm yes, content. That is a very hard concept for any American, I would say, this day to yeah. understand. Can I be salty for a moment? I know that's, that I'm taking that's, the stage. That's the pastor, that's okay. the podcast, if you're Slight not a little bit. bit of saltiness. Bit. Okay, so I, I read the Wall Street Journal, and one of the things in the Wall Street Journal, they had an article about a week and a half ago where they talked about how there are landfills in Africa filled with all the cheap throwaway stuff that gets, that gets bought at the Gap, at H&M, and at... Uh, Old Navy and how, how people one wear it or two wear it or three wear it, you know, insta take an insta shot with it. And then it's old news again. Here's mm. the weirdest contradiction going on in our world today. We want to be environmentally conscious, but we throw away clothes before they ever need to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened to think this phrase out, wear it out, wear it out to what, wear it out until it's done. That idea comes, I mean, you, you, we, we sound like a 1920s fuddy-duddy mom and pop or grandma and grandpa going, well, you should wear it until you don't, you know, you, you've worn it out. We, we, 
but yet we're environmentally conscious, but we're filling up the oceans and we're filling up the landfills of the developing world with our throwaway clothes because we go, well, when we're done with it, we'll send in a box to Africa. Mm -hmm. we, we're duplicitous. Little, that is the world. Yeah. Fair? Yes, very much so. Okay, so that, sorry, thanks for letting me be a little salty. Uh, just going into some stats for just a moment, we're talking about the Bible being trustworthy. Let me give you a few stats for just a second. There are over 24,000 portions or full, full manuscripts of the Bible that we have curated and we have uh, in museums and in private collections around the world today. Okay, now, Everybody says, well, is the Bible trustworthy? Is it not Bible trustworthy? 99.95% of all the things in those texts are exactly accurate across 24,000 manuscripts that weren't like, held together by this one little group of people, and they said, okay, we're going to perpetuate this lie and do like that. All these manuscripts have floated all over the world. You have the Latin Vulgate. You have Slavic translations, Ethiopic translations. You have Armenian translations. You have the Greek translations. Over 5,000 Greek translations alone right. that we have of the text, and they come with inaccuracy. Where is there that little? Well, someone says, well, it's not, not, it's not 100%. It's 99.95. Okay, so here's a great illustration. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, there's this one little spot at the very end of it where if you, and I'll put it up on Sunday, but in the New American Standard, it shows it bracketed. It shows those verses bracketed, and where it shows it bracketed there in verse 13 is this is this part for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen so someone scribbled into their bible manuscript at some point that thought after the lord's prayer they basically said amen and hallelujah well did that change the veracity of the text did that mm -hmm. change the accuracy of the text again you have another place in john chapter 8 verses 1 to 11 where there is a bracketed set of verses where there's the story of the woman who's caught in adultery so the scribes and the Pharisees, quote-unquote, catch someone in adultery. I don't know how. Maybe somebody stumbled into a door or whatever, and something they found out somebody or whatever. But there, they talk about this story, and Jesus says, whoever of you have not sinned, cast the first stone. Well, our Bible annotates. It's honest. It says that's not in some of the early manuscripts. I want to say Mark also has a whole Mark section at the very end, right? That's right. That, that's Absolutely. like a whole chapter almost that's basically like, this isn't included in early manuscripts, so, yeah. but they're honest about it. It like says it in big, bold letters. But, but here's what's so interesting. It is not, to the, to the, it is not a defining component of the gospel. It's not a defining, if you will, lock and key moment in the veracity of the text, it is simply an added-on story or component that maybe illuminates a text that was already given mm -hmm. before. So again, but let's just still remember, 99.95% of all that. Over so, 24,000. Over 24,000. I mean, Homer's Iliad is the next one that comes in, and, and here's something very important too, okay? The gap between when the manuscript was actually scribed and when it was actually earliest written. So we have manuscripts that go back to the first century AD of the New Testament, starting with a little piece of John chapter 8 that actually has five verses on it. It's the oldest known manuscript we have, okay? So you have that one, and you take it up to full manuscripts that we have all along the way, and they all contain the same accuracies, one of the most beautiful things happened when a, when a little shepherd boy found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it went back and it took us the Old Testament, the veracity of the Old Testament that is matched up with the one we have today, goes back all the way to 300 years, 3rd third, third century B.C., 
to first century AD. So you have 2000 plus year Old Testament verification of that piece of the text, right? right? So we, we have that. Homer's Iliad, we have 650 of those manuscripts. Okay, they, the, the, the first manuscript we have of it retained is 800 years later than when it was actually written. So there's an eight century gap between the original writing of it and our first recorded the ones that we have it. yeah and and nobody judges the veracity of that and by the way it was known in that world in that time as the greek bible i mean it was the you know story of the greeks right so so it's, it's so important I'll, I'll mention a few more on sunday but i think it's important for us to recognize that the scriptural texts are a trustworthy source of life and kind of at this point in the podcast let me just ask you this if the bible is not trustworthy what is what is it's easy. We live in de deconstructionism. We live in this period where it's easy to tear it apart, build your whole life, build a house, take five years to build your own house, log by log, brick by brick, whatever it all is. It takes about four seconds for someone to throw a stick of dynamite in, blow it up, burn it down, mm -hmm. right? So that's the kind of the world we live in is the blow it up, burn it down world. Well, let me ask you, what are you trusting your life with? If not the Bible, then, then what? The best news out of, I mean, the best circulated ideas that come out of Orange County or the, the best circulated ideas that, that come off of Madison Avenue or the best circulated ideas that come out of one of the news channels, whatever news channel it is. I mean, what, what, what are you saying is the trustworthy source of your life? Not just trustworthy for what you're doing with your hands, but trustworthy with what decisions you're making with your life. And then more importantly, trustworthy with the values that you have inside your soul. Because we all have those values. And, and, and he, here's, the lit, here's the perfect little test to have. If someone that I loved and I was vulnerable to held those thoughts and did those actions, if they had that and they did that, would I like it? Mm. Would I like it? And, and it, that's a sophisticated, I don't know, sophisticated, but at least it's a roundabout way of asking you this question. If somebody believed what you believed and they did it to you, would you be okay with it? If you look at the scriptures, you would, because Jesus gave the beautiful teaching, do unto others as you, you would have them do unto you. you. See how, the, I mean, the, the, the power and the beauty, God asks, or not asks, Jesus declares that statement and I'm asking it in this way, is someone held your values, had, so held your values, had your thoughts, and did your actions, would you like it? Now, now, here's the difference, I think, between maturity and immaturity. Here's the difference between adulthood and childhood, and that is this. We judge ourselves oftentimes. Here's immaturity. This is immaturity. I judge myself by my intentions, I judge everyone else by their actions. Mm. See that? Right? Yes. So what we say is, well, then the, why do we like to do that? Because we love to say, well, you don't know what my motives were. Right. Well, okay. So FTX just blew up this big Bitcoin exchange, this big cryptocurrency exchange, right? Billions of dollars lost in a matter of hours, if, if not days, right? A few days. All that money, all that, all that value evaporated, gone, someone's gone with the dough. Okay, in that world, if it was your dough, would you judge it by the guy's intentions or would you judge it by the guy's actions? Right. 
That's the litmus test. So, so in our lives, we have to think that way, and that's a definition of maturity. What we're obviously we do this, we put it forward here in this in in this in this uh, in our church, and that is the Word of God is our uh, guide for life. It is the director of uh, the, the uh, actually is the source of our values, is the guide of our minds, and it is the one that informs our hands on how to now go live that out. And so in that process, does everybody fall short of intentions and actions? Of course we do. That's why the Bible spells out this beautiful word, G-R-A-C-E, which is one of the values is we dispense grace when things don't always go the way they ought to, or when we say things or do things that hurt or damage other people or affect their lives in real and meaningful ways. And then we also have this idea that comes out of the Bible, and that is there's such a thing as restitution. How do I make you whole? Right. Christianity offers that. So if it's not here, you guys, if it's not our faith, and if it's not the Bible you're trusting, the bit of saltiness is, what are you trusting? And then kind of the sarcastic way, which I, I'm really not trying to employ with you, but is this, what are you trusting and how's it going for you? I mean, that's the ultimate side of that all, right? I mean, you know, there is, you only live once. There is, you reap what you sow. These are real truths, right? I mean, the scripture says, so into the flesh you reap destruction, so into the spirit, that which would inform our hearts, you reap eternal and abundant life. So that's that's where we're going to go this weekend, sort of the stuff that we're going to talk about this weekend. Well, I appreciate that thought process, Pastor Arv, because I think, like you said, it really does come down to, we can take these first two weeks that Doug and Zach have preached on and, and go, most people can get behind it and be like, yeah, but it really does come down to this last step, which is, okay, how are you letting that influence your life, right? And letting go. And you can look at people's lives around you who are not even remotely close to it and go, is that the life I want for myself? They may look happy now, but I mean, you look at so, there's so many easy examples. If you look at any like old musician or, and, and where they're at, it's like, you know, Kirk Cobain Catches up. did not, yeah, did not end well for him. A lot of these different people. I mean, even there was a whole um, article that comes out, you know, some of these happiest looking people, uh, Matt LeBlanc from Friends played Joey. He just went on a huge tour to promote his new book, talking about how he was so addicted to drugs, even though he was on one of the most popular shows of all time. That's oh. still syndicated to this day, right? Yeah. Robin Williams, one of the funniest people oh. in, in movie history. Finished himself. Finished himself. And you would assume, yeah. and I mean, obviously there's some mental health issues right, that we right. can't, that's not all, it's not a one-to-one -one yeah. comparison, but these people that are supposedly so well off and so happy because of fame and fortune and all these other things are having not great lives. Totally. Well, and can I, can I slide a little curveball in on you Always. there? Okay. So here's the, here's the curveball. Here's the other side. Let's say that there is someone else you're triangulating your life off of, and they're doing really well and all looks really great. If you have the same passion temperament and gifts as they have you probably might get some of the same outcomes as they do but but i can pretend i can pretend all day long to be bryce harper but i can't hit the ball like he does right. i can get a swing i can wear his jersey i can actually even pay to get into philly stadium and take the stadium tour and maybe even stand in the batter's box that he stands in and do all those kinds of things i get i get i get a shot at it it doesn't mean i'm him Right. right. I still have my DNA, my skill set, or in his case, the lack thereof, my lack thereof of his abilities. I still have to live my life. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful text, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It says, train a child in the way that they should go. 
and when they're old, they will not depart from it. The, actually, the emphasis in that verse is on the, 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 the individuality of that child. That's why parenting isn't just cookie cutter. I can't just say, well, I did this with Isaac. I'm going to do it with Micah, and I'm going to do it with Brenna, and I'm going to do it with Sienna. Well, when Sienna's 15 years old, I'm 56 years old. When Isaac was 15 years old, I was 45 years old, mm -hmm. right? So I'm a different person, time and space. All these different things are going on. So the fallacy of I've got, I found my right guru still doesn't work because you are not them. Right. You are who God made you to be. So the, the hard work, but it's worthy work, is to figure out, who God made you to be, what's your passion, what's your gifts, what's your temperament, what's his fingerprint over your life, and what's your calling and purpose in life to go live. Then you have the ability, you before the Lord, to celebrate, you know what, this is the life he has for me, and I'm going to live it out well. That's, that's so freeing. Absolutely. Because you're outside the comparison trap. I now have the spirit of living God. So let's remember this. The word of God leads us to the heart of God, which is reflected in the spirit of the living God. So I want the word of God to shape my, my mind. I want the heart of God uh, to affect everything in my, my soul. And then I want the spirit of the living God to guide my heart. I have those things. I mean, when you have those things going on, you're not flinching. You're not looking over your shoulder. You're not comparing yourself all the time to everybody else. Are we still human? Of course we are. But, but, but you're living on the proactive side of life rather than the constant reactive side of life. And there's a whole lot better life there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Hart, for sharing those Pleasure. wonderful words with us today. And we'll have Pastor Doug back on Thursday. He's going to talk a little bit about the application that you've laid out um, through these tests or um, through these, these verses. Texts, yeah. Yes, texts. Yeah. Um, but thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast.